Amen. Good to see you guys. It is so good to start our week in worship. We're so grateful you're here, especially if you're joining us for the first time. You have joined us at a great time because we are making our way through the book of Genesis, exploring the attributes of God. And as we make our way through this first book of the Bible where we first meet God, we are finding out who God is and what it is that sets him apart. I don't know about you, but this has been one of those series that's been kind of blowing my mind as it expands my view of who God is. We've learned that God is self-existent and that he is eternal, that he is infinite and that he is incomprehensible, that he is good and that he is gracious, that he is omniscient, that he sees everything and knows everything, that he is holy and he has set apart. With today, we're going to see that God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Sometimes you'll hear it described that God is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. He is all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful. And so today we're going to dive in and see that. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 17. First book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 17. We're continuing to survey the story of the book of Genesis, seeing who God is and what it is that sets him apart so that we can trust him more. And that's my goal. And I wonder if we could stop now kind of at the midway of this series and look back and see the more we know God, are we trusting God more with our life? Because we cannot trust a God we do not know, but God makes himself known to us. So Genesis chapter 17 starts this way. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and he said to him, I am God almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. All right. So Let's stop right there because there's a lot packed into these first couple of verses that are really going to help us understand and set the stage for what's about to take place. We first met Abraham a few weeks ago in Genesis chapter 12, and we found him living an everyday, ordinary life when God, in his grace, called Abraham. Seemingly out of nowhere, this guy pops up on the scene. He's living an everyday, ordinary life, and God chooses him. God calls him. And he invites him to follow him. And he says, if you follow me, I'm going to give you children. Though Abraham had no children at the time. He was 75 years old. And God said, you will have children and your children will have children and your children's children will have children. And from you will come a people who will be the people of God. And from the people of God will come the savior of the world. And Abram trusted God for a while. He packed up everything. He picked up and he followed God from the place where he had grown up as God led him along the way. And Abram waited patiently on the promise of God for 10 years, from 75 to 85 or 86 years old. He and his wife Sarai, they waited for God's promise to come, through, uh, come to fruition, that he would have a son. And yet he had no son. So we saw last week, he took matters into his own hands. He kind of made a mess of the situation and yet God is gracious. We spent a whole week, uh, Paul did, preaching to us about how God is gracious. But I find it interesting that no matter how big of a mess Abraham seemed to make of his circumstances, God continued to show up and invite him to walk with him. God is faithful. And so as we pick up the story today, Abraham is 99 years old. So quick math would tell us it's been 25, 24 years since God called Abram. 
And once again, the Lord appears to Abram. Now, this isn't really part of the, the story or the direction for the sermon today, but it stood out to me how it's been 24 years since God first spoke to Abram to the next time God speaks to him. I was having some conversations this week, and it feels like sometimes we find ourselves in this season where we can look back and we can see the incredible things that God has done in our life. Maybe as God calls us to salvation, or God goes to work in our life, or God seems to show up in some significant way. And now we find ourselves in this season where we just keep looking back at what God has done and wondering, have I moved away from God or has God moved away from me? And what's interesting is as we look at the story of Abram, we see God talks to Abram and God talks to Abram, but it's been 24 years and we don't have any record of God talking to Abram in the in-between season. And I wonder if we often overlook the ordinary, seemingly ordinary obedience of everyday walking with God. That every day as we follow God might not be a mountaintop moment, but God is still at work and God is still faithful. So nonetheless, Abram's 99 years old at the start of Genesis chapter 17, and the Lord appeared again to Abram, and he said to him, I am God Almighty. What a way to introduce yourself. I mean, can you imagine God just shows up to Abram, and the first words out of his mouth is, I am God Almighty. I am God all-powerful. I am God omnipotent. I am God capable of anything and everything. That is who I am. Which kind of got me thinking, like, how do we introduce ourselves? Like, I've never introduced myself to anyone like, I am Adam the Great, right? Have you? Like, we might say, like, I'm so-and-so and I'm a, I'm a janitor, or if you really want to build it up, like I'm so-and-so and I'm like a sanitation engineer, right? We try to bolster ourselves and make ourselves sound really impressive. And no, no shame if you find yourself doing janitorial work. I'm a preacher, for goodness sake. No one finds that job impressive. Just this week, I was getting my haircut. And the obligatory question that's always asked at the start of every haircut is, hey, so what do you do for a living? And I said, you're going to be sorry you asked. I didn't say that, but I was thinking. I said, I'm a preacher. And that was the end of the conversation. He tried to bring up sports a little bit. We, we kind of had some dialogue back and forth, but it's like, how do we introduce ourselves? Like, it would be really cool if we could show up and say, we are all powerful. In fact, I've been testing this, what it would be like. I've convinced my older daughter, my four-year-old daughter, that daddy can do anything. And she's bought in hook, line, and sinker. Just ask her. Like, she stands amazed if I can open a jar of mayonnaise. And I just remind her, Brian, daddy can do anything anything. You know, and I fix something that she might have broken or put batteries in a toy that's died, and she just is amazed. And I was realizing this week I have set her up for disappointment because someday she's going to find out there's like four or five things that I cannot do, that I, in fact, am not all-powerful. But I say that because, like, our best efforts fall far short of who God is in his power. Like, no matter how hard we try to make ourselves sound impressive, we're never going to be as impressive as God. God shows up and he says, I am God Almighty. And when God says, I am God Almighty, he's not trying to be impressive. He's just being honest because that is who God is. He is almighty. He is all powerful. He can do anything. He is omnipotent. And that is good news because God is for us. Like as you survey the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, the Gospels and everything in between, we see time and time again that God is for us. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, but God's almighty nature, his power is only good news 
if God is for us. And we kind of explored this idea because every superhero movie or every supervillain movie is always a supervillain who has evil intentions as garnering or getting too much power, right? And the world is at jeopardy. And so everybody tries to stop this person with evil intentions from getting too much power. If God wasn't all good, this would not be good news. But God is almighty and he is all good. There's a truth in here that I find uh, so helpful. And it's that if God is all powerful, then I don't have to be. Do you ever think about that? Like if God is in fact all powerful, then we don't have to be. We don't have to have everything figured out. We don't have to do it on our own because he is powerful. He is almighty and his might is working in our life. And God, knowing this, doesn't hide his power or his might from his people. When he shows up, he leads with it. He makes himself known to Abram, and then he invites Abram to walk with him. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, God Almighty shows up, and he says to Abram, I am God Almighty. He introduces himself. And then he instructs Abram, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you, and that I may multiply you greatly. And that was good news for Abram. That's awesome. God not only has the power to multiply his people, but he has the prerogative to make the promise in the first place. And God shows up with his unlimited power, his unlimited might, and he says to Abraham, I am God Almighty. I'm capable of anything and everything. If you will walk before me, I will multiply you greatly. I will establish a family for you, but walk before me and be blameless. We talk about this all the time, that if we want to experience the immeasurably more that God has for us, more of his presence and more of his power in our life and through our life, then we have to walk with God. Now, we don't earn God's favor. God is gracious and merciful for us. But as we receive his grace, we are called to walk closely with him. And we see it all throughout scripture, right? He shows up. I am God Almighty. Walk with me, Abram. Walk with me and be blameless. Do what is right. Follow me and I will multiply you greatly. Walk with me and be blameless. Walk with me and be blameless and I will bless you. If we want to experience the immeasurably more that God has in store for us, we have to walk with God in obedience because God honors obedience. We all have a temptation and even a tendency to do whatever we want, whenever we want to do it, with whoever we want to do it with, and then we wonder why God doesn't bless us. And it begs the question in my mind, like, if you were God, would you bless you? And I know you think, yeah, of course I would. I'm perfect. No, like, honestly, like, if you were God and you saw how you handled the money that he gave you, would you bless you with more money? Like if you were God and you saw how you handled the relationships that he gave you, would you give you richer, deeper, more meaningful, fuller relationships? Like if you were God and you saw, like, and again, we don't earn God's favor. We don't want to fall into the trap of thinking that, but God calls us to be blameless. And when we walk with God, we experience more of God's power and his presence and his blessing in our life. So God says to Abram, walk with me and be blameless, and then I will multiply you greatly. Verse 3, then Abram fell on his face. What's going on here? God Almighty shows up. He has this brief inter- inter- interchange, this interaction with Abram, and he says, walk with me, be blameless, and Abram falls on his face. 
This is a posture of worship. When God would show up, the people would fall on their face and they would worship. It was a posture of surrender, recognition, respect, reverence, awe, submission. Abram heard what God promised and Abram fell down and said, basically, God, you are God Almighty. Whatever you want is uh, what I want to see take place. Abram loved to hear what God was saying because God was promising a blessing. And here's the thing. It's kind of easy to worship when we hear how God is going to bless us, isn't it? Like when we show up at church, like every one of us shows up at church and we want to leave here today walking with God. Like as we, we gather together and we remind ourselves of God's goodness and grace, we make much of God and we stand here no matter what last week looked like or the week before it looked like or what this next week looked like might look like, we gather here, we remind ourselves of who God is and in his presence, we want to worship. We want to fall down. We want to give God the opportunity to work in our life and through our life. I don't think anyone comes to church on Sunday thinking they're going to walk away from God on Monday. It's easy to worship God when we hear how he's going to bless us. But we're going to, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind because Abram's going to fall on his face again in a few minutes. And God, of course, goes on and he reminds Abram of the many blessings that were going to be bestowed upon him. If you have your Bibles, we're going to read verse 5. He says, uh, or verse 4 rather, Behold, my covenant, my promise, my commitment is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. And it's this incredible promise to Abram, who had no family, that he would have a family, and this family would grow into a people, and the people would grow into a nation, and the nations would bless the earth. This incredible promise that was beyond Abram's comprehension. Verse 5, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. God changed Abram's name to demonstrate the work of God in Abram's life. And we see this through, through scripture. So often God has changed the names Abram to Abraham, Sarah, uh, Sariah's wife to, to Sarah. In the New Testament, we'd have Saul, the murderer of God's people, to Paul, the tremendous church planter. And it's this incredibly gracious thing that God does to us as he draws us to himself, that he changes our name because our identity is placed in him. And it's almost like God is trying to communicate to Abraham and to us and to everyone who follows him that it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. That we're no longer known or defined by our past struggles or shame or sin or selfishness, but we are a new creation in Jesus. And so Abraham would know that. He says, you're no longer going to be who you were. You're now going to be the son of a covenant with God. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Now, this is interesting because God has not yet given Abraham a son, has he? And yet he says, I've already made you the father of a multitude of nations. This is the truth that we see over and over again, that God makes future promises in the past tense that God exists outside of time, that God sees all of time from start to finish, that God is good and God, will know, God knows he will carry out what he has called his people to, that God makes future promises in the past tense. He goes on, he says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, which was the creation mandate. God created Adam and Eve and he told them, go forth, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth to reflect the glory of God. Here he's gonna accomplish that mandate in Abraham and through his family. I'll make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come to you, from you. There's a promise, a prophecy there that Abraham probably could not have wrapped his mind around about the coming 
king of kings and lord of lords. I will establish my covenant, verse 7, between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. God's commitment again to his people. Verse 8, and I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God just continues to bestow the blessings upon Abraham that I've, I'm going to establish you as a people, be an everlasting covenant. From your family are going to come kings, and from those kings are come the blessings of the earth. And I will give you the land where you're sojourning. I will establish a place for you, an inheritance for your people, so you have a place to call your own. And Abram, just on and on and on again, hears the blessings of God that are going to be bestowed upon him. And Abram's response is worship. But if we fast forward, then God gives him the, the covenant of circumcision, and we don't have time to cover all of that. But Abraham is faithful to follow through on what God commands him. Then verse 15, we pick up the story. It says, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And God changes her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations, kings of peoples that shall come from her. And God begins to clarify how the promise is going to come to fruition. Verse 17, then Abraham fell on his face, and he laughed, and he said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. This is what stood out to me in this text this week. When God shows up and he says, I am God Almighty, and he starts to bestow blessings and promises of blessings upon Abraham, Abraham falls on his, on his face and he worships, you know, out of reverence, out of respect, out of submission to God's plan or to God's blessing. But then as God shows up and he clarifies how this is going to take place, he falls on his face again, but this time he laughs. And it shows me something that I found incredibly convicting that God, that Abraham rather believed in God for the blessings, but he didn't believe that God could actually do it the way that God said he could do it. He thinks he has a better way. God, these blessings, why don't they just come from Ishmael? That seems like it would be easier. It seems like it's easier to wrap my mind around. But God is going to accomplish his purpose because God is God Almighty. And I wonder how often, like Abraham, we believe in God for the blessings, but we don't believe God for how he's going to accomplish the blessings. God, I know that you can give salvation, but I don't think I would really have to follow you to accomplish it. Isn't there another way? God, I know that you can bestow upon me a God-honoring marriage that is a testimony to the world around me, but I don't know if I like the, what you're calling me to accomplish. God, I know, fill in the blank. Whatever God is going to do, like, do we believe God for the blessing and then question his ability to bring it through to completion? Then God, in the rest of this chapter, God kind of leaves Abraham for a few minutes, and Abraham circumcises everybody in his family, being faithful to God. And in chapter 18, if you turn the page, verse 10, God shows up one more time. It says, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women has ceased to be with Sarah. And so Sarah's kind of listening in. She knows her age. She knows what her body's been through. She knows that there's uh, no chance that she's going to bear a child. And so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Am I going to have the pleasure of having a baby at my age? Then the Lord said, Abraham, why did Sarah laugh 
and say, shall I indeed bear a child that I am now old? Verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? That's the question before us today. Is anything too hard for God? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. The question that Abraham and Sarah were wrestling with, that God set before them, I think it's the same question that God sets before us, is anything too hard for God? It's a rhetorical question, but it's worth us pondering. Is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for the God who created the world? Is anything too hard for the God who flooded the world and started over? Is anything too hard for God who parted the Red Sea? Is anything too hard for God? The answer is obviously no. The answer is obviously no. And that's why God asked the question, is anything too hard for me? No, nothing is too hard for me. But here's my fear. As we study this text and texts like it throughout the Bible, my fear is that we read stories like this from the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we believe them. We believe that God is capable, that he created the heavens and the earth, and of course he can open wombs, and of course he can give life. And we don't have to be able to wrap our mind around it because God is almighty. But we don't think that he can work in and through our life. And this is like my biggest fear is that we believe in these stories, but we don't believe that God is still at work today. And that is one of the main reasons that we exist as a church, because we want to lead people today to experience more of God's presence and power in their life. And that's not just an empty promise that we want to accomplish. It's what Paul prayed for the church in Ephesians chapter 3. Hear what he writes to the believers gathered in Ephesus in the first century. He says, now to him, God, who is able to do far more abundantly or immeasurably more than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And Paul, in the New Testament, with all of this Old Testament context in mind, would say, my prayer for the people of God in the New Testament church, which we are still a part of today, is that God is capable of accomplishing immeasurably more than all we can wrap our mind around because it's his power at work within us. The same power that created the heavens and the earth, the same power that opened Sarah's womb at the age of 90 and gave her a son, the same power that took that son and established him into a nation and brought Jesus into the world, and the same power that let Jesus be crucified on a cross knowing that he would raise him from the dead, that's at work within us as the church. Jesus would gather his disciples together in Acts chapter 1, and right before he ascended back to the Father's right hand, he would say this. He would say, you, the church, followers of Jesus, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth because the power of God is in the people of God, this almighty power. So the question before us is, how is God's power at work Within us. I'm going to run through several scriptures and just uh, bring several truths to the surface from the New Testament. If you want to just jot these down, we're going to move kind of quickly, but I want you to hear just some of the ways that God's power is at work in the church. His power is at work to move us from death to life. I love the scripture in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. It says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the NIV says the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Will he also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you? That God's 
spirit is at work in you to move you from death to life when you put your faith in Jesus. Jesus himself would say it this way in John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words, the gospel, and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed. He has moved from death to life. God's power is at work in his people to move us from death to life. And it's not just that we would be saved someday when we run out of time on this earth, but we are being transformed today into the image of the Christ, into the image of Christ, that his power is at work within us to transform us. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18, it says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed currently into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. And we see again the spirit of God that was promised to the people of God as Jesus ascended to the right hand of God is at work us to transform us to the image of his son, setting us free from sin. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, we know that our old self, who we were before Jesus, was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. That the power of God at work within us sets us free from not just the penalty of the sin, but the control of sin in our life because of the work of Christ on the cross. And then just like God was going to prepare a place for Abraham, God has prepared for us in his power an eternal inheritance. Peter begins his first epistle, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, a place that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, the church, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed at the last days. That God has prepared for us an eternal inheritance. And here's the thing. I think when I go through these scriptures, every one of us is like, yeah, I believe that. As we study the ancient stories in Genesis, we know that God is almighty, that God is all powerful, that God is omnipotent, that God is capable of doing anything and everything that he has called us to. But do we live like it today? Our goal for this series is that we would trust God. It's that we would stand in all of God, that we would be amazed at the clarity of God making himself known to his people so that it would change the way we live today. That when we encounter the glory of God, we would know that he is still at work in his church today, that his power, his almighty power is drawing us near to him, setting us free from sin, transforming us to the image of God, secured for us an eternal inheritance, knowing that God has taken care of everything from start to finish. I wonder if the church is living like God is in control, that we have access to this power. And if so, what would it look like today? Here's what I want to set before you, because it's kind of a big idea. Spend time with God this week and ask him to demonstrate his power in your life. If you're struggling with a sin that it just felt like it is suffocating the spiritual growth that you long for. Spend time with God this week and ask him to set you free from that sin. Pray for the promises of God 
to be provided in your life and watch him work. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, spend time with God this week. Read the gospel, see the story unfold before your eyes and pray that God would make his salvation clear. If you feel like you've given up hope that God is in control, pray that he would give you a glimpse that he's in control, not just in this life, but in the life to come, that he has secured for you an eternal inheritance. And then I'm gonna put before all of us, as you watch God work, pray that the power that God has given you would make you a witness for God. I promise you there is no greater way other than watching God secure your salvation for you and you're baptized into Christ to feel his power at work than to put yourself in position to be a witness of his power at work in your life. Tell somebody about Jesus. Tell somebody about how God is at work and they might be weirded out and they might not understand, but you'll be amazed at how God draws people to himself through his church when we recognize his power. Father, we are so thankful for your goodness and grace. What a privilege it is this week and every week to gather together as your people to make much of you. Father, you've made yourself known to us and for that we are eternally grateful. Pray that the story of Abraham and the story of Sarah, the story of God Almighty showing up and in his grace and steadfastness, carrying out the calling on Abraham's life despite Abram's feeble efforts to follow after him would be an inspiration to each and every one of us because so often we find ourselves in a circumstance, a situation a lot like Abraham. We're so excited for the blessings that you've promised, but we just don't know when we look at our life and the circumstances of our life, how you're ever going to accomplish it. God, you are God Almighty. You are all powerful. As we sing these final two songs, we symbolically fall on our face before you and say, God, not your will, but ours. Demonstrate your power in our life and through our church for your glory. To him who's able to do abundantly, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us, to him be glory in this church and the church across the world throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand and sing.